Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. God is with the theme of convergence, where is the love? I can see that even in the running up, God is preparing our hearts, and, and I'm going to be touching on some of that here this morning, um, that we're in, entering into a, a place where God is preparing us for, for mega growth, in a sense. Not that we're chasing numbers, but, but that the love that is in our hearts will become like a fountain that will be overflowing spontaneously. When Jesus said to his disciples, he said, freely you have received, freely give. He didn't, I wasn't talking about money. He was talking about the fact that you must be like a fountain that just keeps on running over and, and overflowing and giving. And I believe that fountains of love is about to pop open everywhere like we haven't seen before. You know, there's love in this room. I sense it. I feel it. I'm happy to be amongst you. And wherever I go to the shofar churches, there is love. It's not like there's nothing. There's a lot. There's a lot, lot of love. But God is doing something greater. Greater. It's still the greater things are yet to come. And um, we had an awesome testimony that happened in Paul this week. And I thought I'd just, initially I thought I'm not going to share it, but I, I now I, I feel I have to. Um, some of you may have noticed on Facebook there was a road rage incident between a white guy with a pick, pick uh, steel, that's the thing. Big handle, <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a colored young man, and, and they were sort of arguing, and the guy was sort of threatening one and swearing and whatever. Has anybody seen that video? Okay, all right. It's been on Facebook. By Wednesday, it, there were over 900,000 views. This incident happened in the poll, and, um, and, and, and it was just spreading. And so one guy that's in the Shofar Church in Paul, by the way, I'm mentioning the names today, but on the videos... You don't see any pastors, you see, don't see any churches or church names or anybody involved. No mention of that. It's just God and the power of forgiveness in this testimony. But someone in the Paul congregation watched the video and he said, Hey, I know this guy that was angry. He's just started to come to visit the church and, and, and you know, God wants to work in this guy's life. So he contacted the guy who posted it on Facebook who was attacked. And he said, Man, listen, I know this guy. Um, can't we try and work together for some reconciliation? So the other, both of them, the other one is from another church in town, a Christian guy. So he said, yes, okay, let's do that. They got together at a neutral place. Pastor Heinrich drove through. Pastor Gerard from the Paul Church was there. And a few other church leaders from uh, the other guy, gentleman's church. But as, as I mentioned, nobody's on the videos. Nobody's even heard or, or seen of. What you see in the video is the colored young man washing the feet of the white guy that had the big handle <laughs> and bumped him in the face with it. Washing his feet, then the vice versa, washing the other one's feet and hugging one another. Beautiful things as you see both of them in tears and just hugging one another. And God is doing a mighty thing. And now this testimony is spreading like wildfire. And God is getting that glory. Not one person or one church is getting the glory. God is doing a new and a mighty thing. Amen. And I believe this is just a sign of things to come. I think we're going to see waves of forgiveness wash over our nation. I think we're going to see the power of love in a mighty way. Um, just two other things I want to share with you. 
I've got lots of news because I only get here once in four years. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be around more. Um, but Empower 21 is also something I'm involved with on behalf of Shofar. That is the, uh, a, a basically a network for all Pentecostal and charismatic churches in the world. And Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And um, I have the privilege to serve on the African cabinet. And in 2014, we gathered African leaders in Ghana. And next year, from 16 to 19 May, just diarize that, here in Johannesburg, in Boxburg, the Pentecostal charismatic leaders of Africa are going to come together. Evangelist Daniel Kalenda is going to come. We're going to gather evangelists. We're going to gather all kinds of networks together. And you are all invited in advance. So please keep your diaries open. God is doing something special. Um, I think yesterday, yeah, it was yesterday, I was at a Christ for All Nations gathering also in Johannesburg. And, and they're going to have outreaches Next year, in the month of May, before and after that conference, God is going to bring in a harvest in this continent. Something amazing is taking place. Um, on Wednesday at our meeting, we had more than 20 different denominations present as we meet, were meeting with the denominational leaders. Something that hasn't really happened before for Pentecostals and charismatic leaders to come together like this. God is moving, and I want you to know that he is. And we can celebrate what he's doing. There's some big things that is happening. We, um, a last news flash I wanted to share with you that it can stir your faith. Pastor Everest, Hayareri uh, Mane from Burundi, we've sent some teams to him, mission teams for about three years from the Paul congregation. Long story short, he wanted to become part of Shofar. And we sort of worked out a, a process to, to sort of get the shofar DNA and so forth. And after a year, which was a few months ago, he said, now I'm ready to go. We said, no, 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 please don't just start a church yet. Just start a fellowship group first. So he started a fellowship group and at the first gathering they had over a thousand people. (laughs) And seven weeks later they've got six fellowship groups (laughs) of hundreds and some a thousand each. God is doing a mighty thing. Um, and I can carry on with stories and testimonies of what God is doing. So what I want to share with you as I get into the message is I believe that a mighty harvest is on its way. People are going to start coming to Jesus. But as I say this, I want to clarify it. And I say, because sometimes we say, Lord, we crave, cry for revival. We sing songs. We pray for revival. Revival will come. But revival doesn't seem to come through songs. Revival comes through prayer and action mixed together. Prayer alone is not going to cut it. Action alone is not going to cut it. Prayer and action and the revival is going to come from every one of us in this room. If we're going to apply the simple small things that I'm going to be talking about this morning. As Henny has said, my heart is for the lost, for those who don't know Jesus. And the change is happening not in the big things but in the small things. In your life. But if you have lots of little small things, you know, it's like that movie of the ants. Where, have you seen that, that kids' movie of ants? And, you know, and they're small guys and they've got these big enemies. 
But when they put the might together, all of a sudden they're so incredibly powerful. And being lies the heart of revival. So I believe for Africa and Southern Africa, I don't know, those of you who have been in the church circles for more than 20 years will know that more than 20 years ago there was a flood of visions and dreams across the church that people saw like a fire starting in Cape Town, spreading up to Johannesburg, or in the south rather, in southern South Africa, and from South Africa up into the north of Africa, all over, and then from there to the continent. And I believe that time is happening now, and we're going to start to see the birth of that even next year. But where are we as Shofar Christian Church? Shofar Johannesburg and Santon. Wonderful things happening in Santon. I believe the harvest is coming. We need to be ready, but we also need to mend our nets. Because many people come and they fall through the nets, but they fall through the cracks. And so when I'm going to be talking today about gravity, gravity is something that keeps us all from falling off the planet. Thank God for gravity. Otherwise, we'd be all be, there would be no life on earth if it wasn't for gravity to keep us down to earth. We need that gravity. We need some, something that's going to keep people from just drifting and flying by on their merry way and to say, but I want to st- stay here. I want to be part of this family. You may not know this, but as Shofar Church, we receive more visitors per year than is our average Sunday church attendance. Which means if we only manage to keep the people that come to us sitting in our churches, we will double every year. We're not going to be talking about a 10% church growth. We'll be doubling every year if we, if we only manage to get the people or keep the people that come to us. And when I say get the people, I mean they must become part of the family as we lovingly embrace them and befriend them and make them part of us. In other words, it's not ticking off the notches. It's not like we've won a prize. Oh, wonderful. You know, look at our church growth stats. Look at, at the many people, the scalps I've got for Jesus. We're not scalp hunters. But we need to be good stewards. And this morning I'll be speaking a little bit about being a brother's keeper. There are brothers and sisters walking through those doors every single Sunday. Are we keeping them? Are we, are we our brother's keeper? We're not even talking about outreaches yet. We're just talking about the people that are coming to us and with us who, who sits here in these chairs next to you and they're sitting here and they're saying, I want a family. I want to be part of something. And how effective are we at connecting with people and, and pulling them into our sense of, of our gravitational forces? So before I run too far ahead of myself, let me get going. I've got basically two messages I'm putting into one, and I'm going to start with Colossians 3.17. I'll shorten things as I, as I go along. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the scripture that's going to be on my gravestone one day. <laughs> I hope my family remembers. <laughs> So I've preached it enough so that people will, will somehow stick. But this is it. This is the scripture for my life. Whatever I do, whatever I say, which means everything, is to be done in the name of Jesus. In other words, I don't have a social life, a work life, a, 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 a marriage life, a family life, a this life, and then somewhere in the corner, a spiritual life. 
I don't have such a thing. I don't have boxes. I have one box. His name is Jesus, and my life happens in that box. Amen. And as the church, we need to live our lives in the name of Jesus. Everything you say, everything you do. And if you take only this scripture from this message today, then I'll be happy. Christelle and I have recently been in May to Europe to do a present, present courses on marriage and family and parenting. And, um, you know, I've, I've been touching on this as well. But if you're having an argument for the married couples, next time you have an argument, try start your sentence with, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> you know that nasty, angry thing you want to say now? <clears throat> try start that sentence with, in the name of Jesus, and see how that works out for you. In actual fact, every sentence should start in a figure of speech with, in the name of Jesus. Because that is what this scripture is saying. Whatever you say to your wife, to your children, to the guy, that, the taxi guy that's driven in front of you, should say, start with, in the name of Jesus. In other words, are your words worthy of the name of Jesus? Are your actions worthy of the name of Jesus? Every action and every word of every day. Are you getting my point? Living inside of Jesus. And so I'm going to be asking questions today, five questions. And my first question is, what does your life revolve around? In other words, what is the gravitational force that, that holds your life together? The first, um, well, that's sort of the first sub-question. The second one is, what does your circle of priorities look like? Now, let's look at a scripture Revelation 2 verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Jesus speaking to one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And he's saying, guys, you've done well in this and this and that area. But this is what I have against you. You've lost your first love. Who's the first love? It's him, Jesus. He, our love for him. And, and as we, this is a message on its own. But what Jesus is saying, he says, guys, I don't stand in queue for love. He says, you, you're either hot or cold, but if you're lukewarm, I spit you out. I don't stand in queues. I'm either your first love or, or let's not be bothered with one another. He's saying, this is the priority that your love must have for me. And there must be nothing else. He continues in another place in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 to 39. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Now, before I get there, this is relational stuff. We, we're not even talking about cars and houses and careers and, and holidays and, and, and adventures that you have. Those things are way down on the list. But even, he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter... Hmm. More than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me after me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, as I read the scripture, and as I'm going to be preaching in the next 10 minutes, conviction might be hitting you. And you might be realizing that my priorities is out of order. 
that maybe I'm loving my husband or my wife more than God. Maybe I'm loving my children more than God. Maybe my priority is not God first. Maybe my wife is my first priority, or maybe my children is my first priority, and then my husband, and then comes God, or somehow, in whatever your order is, and you might sit here and saying, it's not out of in order, and, and condemnation might strike you, and that is not my purpose this morning. My purpose is found in the last verse. It says, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life will find that there's good news in it. Whereas God is saying, reorder your life, get your priorities right, and you will actually find your life. In other words, this is a good news message. This is a happy thing. If your life is out of order, you're going to have challenges in your marriage. If your life is out of order, you're going to have challenges with your children. If your children is first in your life, there's going to be a problem. Things will go well, and they'll be full of attention, and they'll have perfect lunch boxes, and, uh, and whatever it is that you're going to put into their lives, and all the sweet things will be there, and they'll have wonderful homework done, nicely on time. But they're still going to miss something. We're going to see that in a minute. My point I want to make is that if we put our lives in order, joy is about to come. It's not something we need to sit down and sack in ashes and say, oh, my life is not in order, and, and how dare you tell me that I can't love my children the way I do. But Jesus is not saying, don't love your children. He's not saying, don't love your husband. He's saying, love me first. So, I've got this picture I want to show you. There we go. This is what keeps our lives actually going. On earth, the sun is there, that's our source of energy. The energy from the sun is absorbed by the plants through photosynthesis, and that's basically where life comes from. And so, I want you to look at this picture as God, as the sun. The earth is husband and wife, who's become one flesh, and the moon is your children. We have five moons in the Mayberg family. <laughs> And on occasion, we have sort of a visiting moon that comes to visit us. <laughs> um, God is the sun, and, and so Christelle and I have, early in our lives, made this decision that our lives are going to revolve around God Almighty. And before we got children, we said, we are going to follow God, and as we follow God, our children are going to follow us. In other words, we, if we are called to Franschuk, which we were, then our children will go with us to Franschuk, and they'll be part of the adventure that we're going to have with God. Then if we're going to go to Somerset West, or we're going to go to Potchefstroom, or we're going to go to Stanerton, or we're going to go back to Stellenbosch, and then back to Somerset West again, have you picked that up, that journey? We've moved many times, and our children have been with us all the time, and we've been to wedding functions late nights and evangelistic outreaches, and I've had youth explosions in Potchefstroom late at night with kids hanging around us, small little kids. They've been part of our lives, but we said we are going to follow God. We're not going to run after our children. In other words, imagine we change this picture. And the moon is on that blue line, and the earth is spinning around the moon. Imagine what would happen if this earth, this planet for real, starts to spin around the, the moon. Man, that'll be gravitational chaos. 
It's, it sounds absolutely crazy. In the same way, we need to get our order right. Our children need to revolve around us. We should not be revolving around them. We should be revolving around God. And as we go, they will follow. I remember in Stanerton, a wonderful thing happened. Uh, Michaela was very young. That's her oldest one. She was, I think, nine probably around there, and it was praise and worship time. We had a big, I think it was a CD launch or something, so the whole town was there, and, and there was a time for prophetic ministry, and here comes Michaela, and she now wants to take the microphone. You know, now, now our policy is normally, if you don't know the person that well, you just, what do you want to say, and then check, okay, this is what you want to say. Now, when Michaela came, I said, Liffy, what will you say? I first wanted to check, you know, because otherwise she might say the wrong thing. <laughs> And we had a big event, and my triple church numbers in attendance. She said what she wanted to say. I said, yeah, this is of God. She spoke. And that was the word of the Lord for the day. Many people came afterwards, and they said, that word was for me. But also other people said, wow, the nine-year-old girl has set an example for me. I'm too shy to come to the front to share a word. I'm too worried that maybe I'm missing it. But here we see a nine-year-old girl coming together because our daughter has been with us on our journey. Last year, for the first time, I was able to take them on a Southern Africa mission trip, 8,500 kilometers. Wonderful journey. Who likes to go 8,500 kilometers with five children in the car? Any volunteers? We had an awesome time. An absolutely awesome time. And they could come into my world and meet the church in Zimbabwe. They could meet the church in Namibia. They could see the things that God is doing and be part of that. Make your children part of your spiritual journey. The Israelites, when they moved from Egypt to to the promised land, they didn't leave the kids behind and say, see you in two years' time, we'll come back when the house is finished. No, that they were on the journey. And in our spiritual journey, we need to take our kids with us. If you're going to go to intercession or cell group or or convergence conference or wherever it is, let your children grow up in the house of God. Let them grow up with you on your spiritual journey, and they will see things. I'm going to get back to to that. Um, I'm getting excited again. Um, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. It's not on the screen. It says... Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. In other words, Christelle and I have to imitate Christ and then get our children to follow us in the same way. Um, There's a couple from the Marmersbury Church who had two young kids. I think the oldest is like four years old or so. Um, And they drove all the way from Marmersbury to Ethiopia. That's a family journey. To go and plant churches in Ethiopia because they felt God has called them to go there in a place where they don't speak the language, they don't understand the place, it's a hostile environment, not really Christian-friendly. There's a Coptic church, but they even attack the, the, the charismatic Pentecostal Christians. That's just an example for me. Not all of us have to do that, but wherever you go in your journey, take your kids with you on that journey. And, and let us look at some of the idols in our lives. And I'm just going to highlight two things. Have you noticed... Sometimes it happens when couples get engaged. There's sort of a, a phases of transitions that you see. 
First of all, when, when, the, when the ring comes, have you noticed how a lady worships on that first Sunday? It's hallelujah like this. <laughs> and they, they're showing off that ring and they're dancing. And, you know, everybody must just see it. <gasps> oh, you got engaged. And you know, then it's a party on its own. <laughs> but sometimes it happens, and I've noticed this, that the couple start to go into their own cocoon. And, and, now, and it's wonderful to be in love, and we must all be in love. But, but our love for Jesus must still remain more. And I've seen it that people fall in love and then sort of as, as like that becomes the primary thing in life. Now, it is a big thing and, and you must enjoy it. But then I see couples sometimes getting married and then they go for that, you know, somehow they manage to find that scripture in the Old Testament. I can't even remember where it is now. Where it says that the, the, the newly married men may not go to war for a year because they must first, um, you know, make sure they've got a boy child to, to sort of let their heritage go on. So they're all saying, you know, you know, Pastor Heaney, you know, I know I used to do this and that and be involved, but you know, this scripture says I must take a break for a year from church and this and that. And I'm not into church programs here this morning. I'm into just what is God. You don't take a break from the purposes of God because you're on a one-year honeymoon. Amen. I don't want to ruffle too many feathers, but I have to ruffle some feathers. The other one that I've noticed is after that, the next phase, then comes the babies. And you know what? Then the, the baby at Ma en Kleter and Baba en Kleter and Winnie Watse Goed Nogi. All these magazines and books comes out and there's parenting fashions. Yeah, in Gauteng, I know it's big. Parenting fashions and this routine and that routine and whatever. I'm not going to go into a debate with you today. Let me just warn you and say, don't let the routine become your center of gravitation. Don't let your routine determine whether you're going to follow God or not. Whether your children's going to come with you or not. Follow Jesus. Let the routine be adjusted. Amen. That's the policy Christelle and I have followed. We've raised five kids wonderfully so far. We're not done yet, but wonderfully so far. And we have said, our kids are going to fall in with what God's agenda is for us. Christelle and I love staying at weddings and parties. We're always the last to leave. And when we got children, it was the same. We took pillows and blankets and whatever, put them in the corner. The music was pumping. And we were still the last to leave. Because we wanted to fellowship with the people of God. Get your, your circle of priorities in order. Now, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Why am I reading this? Because I've now spoken about relationships, but let's talk about the, the non-relational things. Things like your career, sports, fitness, social life. Today, there's a whole bunch of people painted all kinds of colors, running around, and they're not here. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things. You know, do the, the running and the racing some other time. And while you run, witness and testify and lead people to Jesus. Amen? Okay, I'm not going to stay on that scripture too long. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. 
So this is where we get to love. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, please concentrate on the next five minutes as I'm going to share. Because this is, to me, the crux of what I want to share with you. What is the gravitational force that I want to present to you today? You know it, but let's talk about it. It's love. And, and, and Jesus is highlighting, he says, there's two things, in, in these two things, all of the Bible is summed up. Everything is summed up in these two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. He must be the son in your life. You must center around him and love him more than anything or anyone, anything and anyone. You must love him the most. And number two, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, I often, and this is a quote you can also put on my gravestone. You cannot love your neighbor. Yeah, he says I'm going to have a big gravestone. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) You cannot love your neighbor as you love yourself if you don't see your neighbor as you see yourself. I'll say that again. You cannot love your neighbor as you love yourself unless you see your neighbor as you see yourself. Which means you should not see your neighbor as better than you or lower than you. And here comes a test. And this test for us as South Africans is a real one. The places where Christelle and I have pastored has been multicultural churches, Franschuk, Potchestrum, and Stanerton, multicultural churches. And in different places, especially in Stanerton, there's a lot of racism. And challenges, but there's not only racism, there's also socioeconomic challenges. And even within the church, we may be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and talking tongues and hallelujah, jumping for joy, but sometimes there's still racial discomfort. Sometimes there's still socioeconomic discomfort. We, we noticed in Stanerton with the white community there, we had in the first year that we were there more than 200 white new visitors of whom maybe at the most 10 stayed because they were discom- uncomfortable being in a multicultural setup. The colored and the black and the Indian people, they were comfortable or more comfortable, should I say. But regardless of where you are in, in this sort of sliding scale of comfort, I want to I challenge you to change your mindset, the way you look at people. And, and there's, a, there's an easy way you can test this for yourself. We're going to be talking about sacred space in a few moments. But let's talk about your Friday night bride. Who is it that you invite to your Friday night bride at home? When you just want to invite two, one or two couples to have a lacquer career or to watch the rugby or Wimbledon or whatever you want to watch. And, and you're, you're, that's the time where you kick your, your shoes off the barefoot times, you know, and you just career and you're in the swimming pool and whatever. I'm not talking about the formal dinner around the table things and inviting this new couple whose friends, their kid is friends with my kids at school. You know, that's the formal one. But that really like a sit down, yeah, I'm party. That one. How comfortable are you with someone from another race, another language, another socioeconomic grouping 
And this cuts both ways, by the way. Not only somebody that is less than you, but also somebody that is more than you. Are you ashamed of where you stay? Because your house is plain and somebody else has got this enormously fancy place and now you don't want to invite them to your place. Let us come to a place where we feel comfortable to open up our homes to whosoever. In that Friday night gathering, invite someone that's another language, another race, another culture, another socioeconomic grouping. And when they come, Christelle and I love doing this, we, and, and it's just spontaneous how we, we do this. And, and um, when we, we invite people that are different to us, we treat them Exactly the same like every other friend that comes to our house. We're equally familiar and casual and, and gemakkelijk, easygoing with them. As I'm not going to go into too much detail. I think you get what I'm saying. Let, let us come into a place where we are ready to, to see our neighbor as we see ourselves. Genesis chapter 4 verse 8. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know, and I my brother's keeper. He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the scriptures. Just highlight with this one thing. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes. You are the keeper of everyone in this room. Look around. Each one of you are the keeper of everyone else in this room. You may not have realized you have such a big responsibility when you walked in the other this morning. But we tend to think it's the responsibility of the shepherd to be the only shepherd caring and tending and whatever. Or it's the cell leader's job. Or is the district leader's job? Or the zone coach's job? Or somebody else's job? But our brother's keeper, not the guy in your zone, Yuri's keeper. Not the guy in your cell and you, the cell leader, you their keeper. No. Every one of us is a keeper to everyone else. And to everyone else who comes through those doors next Sunday and every other Sunday. Every new person. We are that brother's keeper. And this is why I want to talk about mending the nets. Gravity. Remember your first day at school, grade one. Can anybody remember that? Were you, were you nervous? Come on now, let's get honest. Were you nervous? Yeah, you were nervous. And then when you went to high school, that first day of high school, and there's a whole bunch of strange kids from all other primary school schools, were, were you nervous? Yeah, you were nervous. And we somehow think that as we grow older, we're going to outgrow that feeling. But when you go to university or college or Technicon, on that first day, it's the same thing. When you're a parent and you move into a new area in the school and it's the first night for the parents to come in, and you have to walk in and you don't know the other parents, there's a certain feeling in your heart. Let's talk about that. Every person that walks through that door as a visitor on a Sunday has got that same feeling. And what is the questions you ask yourself in your heart when you walk through that door, when you're at that school function? The first thing you do is you look around and you say, do I know somebody here? 
Am I right? And then if he says no, somebody, <gasps> somebody to talk to. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy to see. And you sort of get your cup and you stand with them and you know, pretend like there's nobody else in the room because you feel safe. At least there's one face I know that I can talk to. But then if you're in that place and you don't know anybody, what's the next thing you look for? Is there anybody here that I could possibly strike up a conversation with? That I could maybe find a common ground. You remember from school when you, when you had these let's beat each other conversations? What is your name? What class are you at the university? Where do you come from? What do you study? Do you know so and so? Huh? Am I right? We all do that. Do you know so-and-so? You know, from that town. Oh, you're Durban. You must know so-and-so. There's only a million people in Durban, but surely you must know so-and-so. Because we're wanting to find that common ground. We want to be able to talk to one another. And what's the third thing every person that comes to this church asks? They ask, am I going to be able to make friends with the people in this room? Am I going to have friends here? Not people that's going to greet me nice and friendly at the door and give me a nice cup. That's great. It's a good start. It's good coffee. Thank you for the good coffee. But that's not going to change my life. It's going to warm me up. It's going to break the ice. It's going to say, this place has got potential. But I'm going to need somebody to walk up to me and be a host to me, not the usher at the door. There's a difference between an usher at the door and a host. A host is someone that will host you for the day and be with you. And if there's somebody that's standing in a corner alone, they don't know what to do, uh, you offer to buy them a cup of coffee but, but, and have a conversation, have a chat and connect, and then we come to the next step. What are you doing after church? Why don't you come for a quick cup of coffee or there's a nice little coffee shop around the corner, a couple of friends is going there, why don't you want to join us? And it's so easy to go through the formalities. You know, there's a cell group, go to the cell group, but they don't know anybody at the cell group. Going to the cell group is more awkward because now you're here in a group of strangers and you can't hide in the back seat of the school hall. Now everybody's going to look you in the eye and they say, Brother, you are near. Would you please pray for us? (gasps) I've never prayed in front of anybody in my life. But we think they should feel comfortable. (laughs) No, they don't. We don't feel comfortable by ourselves. We need somebody to make us comfortable. We need somebody to reach out and to be a friend. My mom used to teach me, Anton, if you want friends, be a friend. We need to be hosts. But now I want to come to the last part of my, my message. Maybe before I do, let me just underline this gravity thing. People that come to church are like shooting stars or what do you, asteroids, those things. And they come into our orbit. The gravitational force of the earth pulls them closer. And then they're either going to, the gravity is going to keep them or they're going to just fly by. What is that gravity that's going to make them stick? It's love. It's love and friendship. That's the gravity. And the gravity of each one. Because we don't want one friend, do we? 
I want to tell you the people that come to church, if after three Sundays they visit it here and they don't have at least three couples or people that they think, this is people that we can connect with and we want to be friends with, they might just shoot off. It's not just, oh, you've been to the cell. Okay, my duty is over. You connected to the cell. No. <laughs> Our duty doesn't stop there. And it's not a duty. It's a celebration. Okay, second question. I'm going to rush quickly through the last bits. Do you have room in your life or is your circle of friends full? I believe that we need to have an open circle. If you come to the place where you feel that your circle of friends is full and you don't have space for anybody else, I think you're at the wrong place. God's, Jesus never said to anybody, sorry, my heart is full. Jesus, even when he was tired, go read how many times Jesus was tired, or, but then he had compassion on people, he reached out to people. Jesus was never in a place where he said, okay, my quota for the day is over. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we need to have open hearts that don't have a limitation. Third question, do you allow others into your sacred space? I've already started to speak about that a little bit. But when you came here this morning, did you come ready to love God as you love yourself and you love your neighbor as you love yourself? No, love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Which means, did you come ready to invite somebody for lunch? Or for a coffee or something? I'm not saying you should have all, <gasps> you know. But we need to come and to sell unto wherever, when we meet somebody, be ready to say, I'm ready to walk a journey with somebody, to invite somebody into sacred space. Because for most people, uh, a Sunday afternoon is family time. Am I right? For our family, Friday nights is family time. And we have a wonderful family time. And, and we don't um, give that up easily. But there's a place where we sometimes invite people to join us on a Friday night. On a Friday night... We, Christelle and I, with the five kids, we start off with games. Each child can, can pick a game, and we go hide-and-seek and touch us and, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And the biggest one is that, what's that one where you sort of put your foot on the red and then on the green? Twister, yeah, we do twisters lot of, lots of times. But sometimes we invite other people to come and do the twister with us. Or to have pizza with us. And we invite people into our sacred space. Let me talk to you about Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. This is going to demonstrate the principle. In Exodus chapter 33, it writes about the, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and that every person in Israel could go to that tent and they could meet with God and they would inquire of God and they would actually hear from God. They could, everyone. You can go read it for yourself. It says that, but when Moses went there, it was a special occasion. Then the pillar of cloud came down, stood at the entrance of the tent. Every man would gather his family, his wife and kids, stand at the entrance of his door, and they would bow down and worship. It was such a holy moment because God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Now, let's read that verse. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would... Returned to the camp to go and tell him what he's heard. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. How many people have missed that last sentence? Three million people are standing at their tents, worshipping. But there's one guy. His name is Joshua. He's in the tent with Moses. He's looking at God. He's looking at Moses. 
He's looking at God. He's looking at Moses. He's seeing, how does God speak to Moses? How does Moses speak to God? And he sees this interaction. He's with God in, and Moses. In that holy moment, he's there. Moses took somebody with him into the sacred space. He didn't say, Moses, I'm going to have my quiet time. Wait there. I'll be back in 10 minutes. He said, I'm going to have a quiet time with God. Come with me. And then when you read in Joshua chapter 1, what does God say? God says, Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. But as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. How did Moses know? He saw it himself. Take your children with you into that sacred space. When you are moving into the presence of God, take your children with you. And don't only take your children, take other people with you into the sacred spaces when you meet with God. And the the sacred spaces is your meeting times with God and also your meeting time as a family. That doesn't mean every Sunday you must have a visitor and every Sunday you must never have alone and private time with your kids only. That's not what I'm saying. But be open to allow people into your space. So, when we allow people to come into our space, we need to be ready to go the extra mile. Can we have the next scripture up? Are you willing and ready to move into the space of others? That's the fourth question I have. Jesus, when he saw Zacchaeus in the tree, he knew this guy wanted to connect with him, but he didn't just invite him to him. He said, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to have lunch with you. And Jesus went in and read the Gospels. Jesus went to to where the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors are. Everybody else was angry with him. But he went into people's space. Are you ready to receive people into your space? But are you also ready to move into their space? To go and have lunch with them. To go and and spend time with them. When Christelle and I were in London now, um, we've got family-in-law there. And um, uh, so my sister's husband, in other words, my brother-in-law, his parents or his dad is, is there, and he used to be a guy, who well, still plays in a band, played for famous bands, by the way. Um, but, but, you know, they're not Christian, not, not going to church, and this is normally a secular gig, but Christelle and I said, okay, we're going to visit them, stay with them. They invited us and said, we're going to have this, this gig and this band that's going to be playing, and uh, do you want to come with? And he said, okay, we'll, we'll come with. And it wasn't a burden to us, it was a joy. There's a joy in moving into other people's space. There's a joy in going the second mile. I'll I'll touch on that in a minute. So we sat there and we had earplugs in. That's how loud the music was. And we were tapping the foot and chatting. And, you know, the music is good. And, And we really enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Are you ready to move into somebody else's space? Let's look up at the next thing. Are you willing and ready to go the extra mile? Let's go to the scripture. And whoever compels you, go one mile, to go one mile, go with him too. I preached the message last week in Somerset West, I entitled it, Going the Extra Mile is a Joy and Not a Burden. And most of the time when we read this scripture, and there's another scripture, I'm not sure if, if it's on here, about the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan that not only picks the guy up, tends his wounds, he also puts him on the donkey. He takes him to the inn. He, he, he pays for the bill. He, he deals with him there. And he goes another mile and another mile. He says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to make sure that this guy is okay. That guy walked the second mile. But walking that second mile is meant to be a joy. 
So, I just want to share with you one last testimony and story to underline this point. I was, um, a few weeks ago, was with Pastor Andres in Malawi. I think it's too loud. If you can just turn it down a little bit, thanks. Um, I was with Pastor Andres in Malawi, and so on our way back, we were seated at different places, and there was a young lady. I saw her in the waiting area before we got onto the plane, and it's sort of like the Holy Spirit sort of just pointed it out to me. Well, I mean, you don't know who's going to sit next to you, and so I'm packing my bags, and next moment, yes, she is, and she's standing next to me. She says, oh, I'm in the seat next to you, and we sit down, and there I had a choice. I could sit down and mind my own business like I most of the time do because I travel a lot and sometimes I just need that rest. Anybody like that? Not everybody wants to chat, chat for two hours with a complete stranger. But So I sat there and then I had to make this choice. Am I going to mind my own business and stay in my world or am I going to engage and connect with this person and enter into her world and share a bit of mine? So I decided to take a leap of faith, which I sometimes do, and I, and I had a chat with her, and man, we had a wonderful chat. Turns out, she's from a European country, I'm not going to mention the name, and she was a volunteer to try and start an orphanage in Malawi, didn't really get going, went back to, to her country, all by herself, raised money, came all by herself for a year, and lived in one of the towns in Malawi, where Pastor Tembu is, um, and, and, and tried to do this orphanage, but the government couldn't allow it, and so she started a daycare center, and we started to talk about that, and then I said, okay, but there's something in common. You know, we have kids, and we also care for the orphans, and we have this adoption program, and we are encouraging our church members to do foster care and to adopt people, and we've got actually lots of families that have adopted, and we could have a wonderful chat about this, and it was a joy. It was not a burden. That's my point. And, and, and I could talk to her and, and sort of refer her to our website, Kipway, and whatever. And then I had to make another decision. And that decision was, am I going to just stick to this neutral common ground, or am I going to take another leap of faith and talk about Jesus? Which I did. And I started to talk to her about Jesus and what Jesus has done in my life and about the Holy Spirit because she was asking what I'm doing. And I, I started speaking with pastor and Empower 21 and the work of the Holy Spirit, etc. Long story short, I had about an hour's conversation with her about the realness of Jesus Christ in my life, the realness of the Holy Spirit in my life, how I first encountered Jesus, how I first spoke in fluent causa, even though I don't speak a word of causa, supernatural intervention. She, what? You spoke another language fluently for 20 minutes? I thought that speaking in tongues is some nonsense. And, and we had this real conversation about demonic spirits and deliverance and all sorts of things. And, and I, she didn't, I didn't make an invitation to say, would you now come and commit to Jesus? Which gave me to the, the last decision I had to make. I said, am I going to go another mile? Am I going to share emails? So I said to her, why don't we swap out emails? I'll send you a little booklet I wrote, uh, rewrote the Foundation One booklet. I'll email this to you. You can read a bit more about what we believe and so forth. And I'll give you the links to Kids and so forth, which I did. And the very next, as we landed, I sent that to her. Haven't had any, the story doesn't go any further than that just yet. The reason I'm telling you the story is twofold. Number one, 
I had to make a series of choices, not only one, but in many choices. Am I willing to go another step? Am I willing to go another step? And every time I did, it was a joy and it was not a burden. It was a joy and not a burden. I want to tell you, every person that Christelle and I have had and invited to our house, non-church members who came to our house, it was a joy. Every time we invite people to a Friday night, it's a joy. Every time we go to other people's space, it is a joy. In Stanerton, um, they were, I must tell you this story. Can I tell you one story? In Stanerton, in, there was a, there's a community called Gazalia. It's mostly a colored community. And there was a church there very antagonistic against us from the day we started there. And sort of preaching and putting our members out of the houses that they were renting and so forth. Bad things were happening. And after about a year or so, somebody came to me and said to me, Pastor Anton, there's a, a sort of a, a family member of a family member of a family member that, that died. And the, and the culture and tradition is if you don't belong to a church, you don't get a funeral. Maybe if you're lucky, somebody pitches a tent in the backyard, says some nice things, and they put you in the grave, and that's it. So they said, you know, would, would I be willing to come to the backyard tent and do a little short very short, won't interfere in your diary, come and do the funeral for us, please. I said, no. We got a whole church hall set up with coffee and tea, everything on a Friday. Uh, it's the youth and Sunday, it's church. Saturday, it's empty. Come and have the service in the church. What? You're going to do that? For a guy that's not a church member, it's unheard of. And you're actually going to be there? So long story short, we did the funeral, and then afterwards there was a, a social gathering at the tent. I went to the tent. Everybody's thinking, what is this pastor doing, this white pastor doing here in our community at this tent? And they thought, I'll do the, the pastorated thing. You know, you walk in there with your suit and tie, you greet everybody, and you go out the door after you've taken your cup of tea. <laughs> You've shown your face. But I hung around, and again, I told you, I like a good party. I was one of the last to leave. And everybody was wondering, when is he going to leave? When is he going to leave? When is he going to leave? And he didn't leave. Why? Because I had a good time. It was a joy, not a burden, to be there. Same thing happened with a wedding and, and another funeral. Similar things. And, and after a while, people started to walk up to me in Spiral and Big and Pay and say, Pastor, you don't know me, but I've heard about you and I know you. And I just want to tell you, it's wonderful what you're doing for us and for this community. I'm in another church. I'm an elder there or I play the piano or whatever. I can't join your church. If I could, I would. But thank you for what you're doing for our community. And more and more people from that community started to come to the church. Because somebody discovered that it was a joy to reach out into somebody else's world. So my message to you today is not a condemning one. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a, an announcement of joy to come. But you and I need to open our hearts. We had to open our, our hearts, our houses, our homes. We need to think differently about people. And we need to reprioritize our lives. Aren't you ready to do that? Because I tell you, if you are, You're going to see amazing things happen. Amazing things, and it's going to be fun all the way. Yeah?
people fight with each other, and there's irritations and personality clashes. That's normal. But in general, the journey is going to be great. So I'm going to pray for us now. But I'd like for you just to spend time by yourself for a minute and speak to God about your heart. Opening up your heart. Say, Lord, I'm ready. Jesus said, I knock at the door and whoever opens, I will come in and dine with him. So for some of us, we need to make that decision today to say, I'm going to invite Jesus into my life. And I'll, I'll make an invitation for that briefly. But for us, some of us, we need to open our door to other people, to the stranger, to the whosoever, to the brother and sister to be, to be ready. And, and I'm not going to force you to do that. You've heard the word of the Lord this morning. This was not my message. What I've shared with you today is the heartbeat of God. And in your own words and in your own time, spend to God, speak to God and say, Lord, I want to open my house. I want to open my heart. I want to rearrange the order in my life. Whatever and in whatever way the Holy Spirit has touched you today, I want you to speak to him. And when we're done, I'm going to give a minute or two, and I'm going to invite whoever wants to come to, to Jesus to do that. And then I want us to just turn to one another two by two. And I want you to just mention one person or one family that you want to pray for that does not know Jesus or they may have had interaction with Jesus but they're not in church and not in a spiritual family that you want to trust God for a divine appointment for you to either engage into their world or them to engage into your world. Because Jesus, when he said, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, Therefore, pray that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into the harvest field. He didn't say, pray that someone else will go. He didn't say, pray for a year and sing the revival song. He said, now you go. Go read it. Matthew 10 and Luke 10. When Jesus sent out the 12, the first mission team, and the 70 other disciples, the second mission team, when he sent them out, he said, you pray and you go now. You don't go home to pack bags. You don't take pocket money. You don't take nothing. You don't take another underbrook. You go now to this town, that town, that town, and you preach the gospel. And as you go, you pray. So when I'm saying here today, let us pray for people to get saved or to enter Jesus, we're praying a different prayer. We're praying, Lord, help me to reach that person and to step into that person's world. Give me the courage to do this. In other words, we need to become answers to our own prayers. This time of thinking that it's for somebody else, that's not it. We need to respond. So let us pray just by yourself as you want to share with the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.